Well, it's Groundhog Day again. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everybody. This is Evan along with Hans. And this is another episode episode of You Never Studied. This is an Ask the Expert episode. Hans, tell us a little bit about how these work. So as we had the theme You Never Studied, we wanted to have specific times where we could talk to people who had an expertise. Correct. This whole podcast is based on the idea that you can engage on any idea and not really know what you're talking about and kind of fake it till you make it. Absolutely. At the same time, we recognize there are people who actually know Know some stuff, yeah. And we want to bring them in from time to time and let them tell us about the thing that they know so that we can become better at whatever it is we're trying to do. And at the same Sounds time, fun. expose the, expose our listeners to little quirks or things that they have or like or do that you would never know about if you did not know them. That's true. And we've had in the past your brother-in-law, Correct. Jeff Manna, my cousin-in-law. Hurricane Manna. Yes, Hurricane Manna, talking about the weather and talking about 80s Christian rock. That's right. And then we had Brad Munson, church member here at Tomball Bible Church, who happens to be an operator of a Chick-fil-A, Correct. but also is super into Strengths Finder. Yes. And now we have Bart Sykes, Dr. Bartholomew Stikes. Stikes. You keep saying Sykes. Oh, Sykes, like Wanda Sykes. We talked I know, about I that. know, yeah. <laughs> Stikes. Are you guys related? There's a no, team. not quite. Okay. <laughs> not really. There's Bart a Stikes, and uh, and he is a doctor professor of sociological things. Correct. This is my church member. We have to be nice to him, right? Genesis rep, right mm-hmm. here. Um, and and he can really make or break how this goes. If yes. This, you know, so we don't want to offend the guest too much. So Professor Bart Stikes uh, is a guy who teaches sociology at Sam Houston State University. He has multiple. Go Bearcats. That's right. Yes. Because we both went there. Uh, my brother went there and my parents went there. So if anybody can say it, I can say it. <laughs> Go Tigers. <laughs> Go Tigers. They are awesome. So he would call himself a family demographer with special interests in family formation, individual well-being, gender, and survey measurement. Now, before you yawn, this is actually incredibly exciting stuff. It actually is stuff. fascinating stuff because so, we've already talked about I it. I know. We've done this before. <laughs> yeah. So what I want to be able to do, though, is we, we generally flip it about halfway. We're going to go a little more than halfway with Bart's yeah, stuff yeah. because he has some pretty yeah, interesting some things about his field that we want you to know about. But first, Bart, starting off, how the heck are you? I'm good. Why? Because <laughs> I, I, I get to do this again. Because I messed up the first time. Well, is that why you're doing no, okay? Yeah, no, we're good. We had a great. So for those that don't know, we've we've alluded to it a couple times. We had a great recording on Thursday, but Bart was like, "Ah, some things could have been tighter. I could have said some stuff." Which is so Bart. Yeah, if uh, you yeah. know Bart. <laughs> yeah, it's so like he, I saw him this morning at church, and he was like, "Oh, I'm really sorry." And I was like, "This is what I would have expected from you." Yeah. <laughs> Well, this he asked for a mulligan, yeah, yeah, and, and, and we were it. like, yeah, hey, yeah, sure. If you feel like that that you can knock it out of the park this time, yeah, even, we're gonna, even farther yeah, because the first one was a 600-foot yeah. bomb. Yeah, it was good. So, But this time he wanted to – we want to uh, come back with the same subject matter. Because same this, subject matter, and we're going to go a little yeah. bit of a deeper dive and yeah. a little bit more of a well-prepared dive, which is what you yeah. wanted, Bart. Uh, so first, I want to ask you, and you've shared this before, but I want to know just for the listener, what got you into sociology? Uh, so growing up, I was not uh, your typical guy. I was not um, very good at sports. I was very emotional and sensitive, so people picked on me for not being a typical guy. Okay. So that spurred the interest in gender. Um, 
And then from there... What is a typical guy? A typical guy in East Tennessee would be football and hunting. And I do neither of those things. Do neither of those. Uh, Stay tuned and you'll hear about a mad reference to beach volleyball. That's That's not the same as football. So you got into it trying to... In part of just kind of uh, self-discovery. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So so an interest in gender and inequality because I was like, this is interesting because I don't match on to this like cultural standard. Right. um, type of thing. So that's what drew me to sociology at first. And then I wanted to work with at-risk youth, uh, like in the inner city, because that's something you can do in a much more applied sense. Sure. Um, yeah. And then I decided that wasn't a good fit. Wasn't a good fit. Yeah. Okay. Leave that to the father-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is, yeah. Which is what, <laughs> shout out to Harbor Christian Academy and the ah, work of Roosevelt Wilson and excellent. what they do there, training up Christian worldview in um, more difficult parts yes. of the Houston area. So... Uh, Bart has a history and education, educational practice, uh, sociological study, and also it's in the family tree, education, connection, or the marriage family tree, Um, but just being engaged with learners, learning, and all those things. So I want to take his three specific, unique interests, which I don't need to say specific and unique, but I will. (laughs) Very Uh, unique. Yes, very unique. You can have a mulligan if you want. (laughs) I don't don't need a mulligan. I can speak poorly without editing. You speak good. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Three emphases. I'm going to just name them really quick, and then we're going to go through each one. So the three research interests of Bart, fatherhood and father involvement, number one. Number two, family structure, instability, or complexity, and child outcomes is number two. Number three, non-marital or unintended childbearing. So all revolving around the home, right? family, children, specific outcomes on them, and as well as being uh, a father and what that does. So I want to go to Bart, and let's just go through these one by one. Tell us a unique thing, something that we can hold on to or learn about from that first idea of fatherhood or father involvement. Okay, so the first thing, it seems pretty basic, uh, but we were a little bit behind the eight ball on getting to this, just because we didn't have data on dads, but dads matter, and what dads what? do in the family matters for child outcomes, right? Whatever. Who would have thought? <laughs> Dick um, so that's one of the big pushes, is just to have more information from fathers. A lot of our surveys don't really collect a lot of information on dads, in particular those who are lower income uh, or non-white or non-resident. Um, so most of my work in this area is specifically focused on different barriers that uh, men face in their roles as fathers and how that might impact their involvement with children. And so you also said that sociological research has often been through the perspective of moms. Isn't that the, and, or what was the way that you said that? In the context of parenting, definitely. So uh, we have, and this is tied to our cultural norms regarding gender, we kind of have this idea of mom is the primary parent and dad's like, well, and you hear about dads babysitting their kids. Yeah, like, until no, they get you're older parenting. You're can not play babysitting, sports. right? Exactly. Um, so because of that, for a long time, data would not really, were not collected on men as fathers. I have a hard time saying data were. I know. It's, it's, it's because data yeah. doesn't sound plural. But yes, so always plural. It, it, I have a hard time with that. I just want to, for the record, I Across still Across various wrong. media, that yeah. kind of thing too. Not yeah, easy. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Next, family structure or instability. What do you mean by that? Uh, so family structure is who is in the household. Uh, so looking at like the parents, how many parents are there? Uh, are they biologically tied to the child? Or are they step parents? Uh, yeah. And then are those parents married to one another? Or are they just cohabiting? Or are they kind of in and out type of thing? Okay. And so I brought the, I brought this up on our first recording, but I want to bring it up again just just because this is where I live. Is we as foster parents have seen? I think one of the things that happens when you become a foster parent is you just realize that a lot of people don't live the way that you think they do. They don't live the way that you do, certainly. 
And there is a lot of instability in the foster world, both with kids coming into your home and then leaving. Uh, uh, that was not our experience. We adopted all three of our placements uh, successively, but a lot of our friends that are in the foster world obviously have had kids come and go. Yeah. I would assume that that counts as instability, instability yes. for, for the bio kids and even the parents themselves mm-hmm. in the homes. Uh, and then uh, also we have a family friend who is actually an aunt for uh, our, our adopted daughters who uh, has a daughter who is bouncing all around. And, and so her mom lives in California, serves in the Navy. The dad is constantly passing her off to different relatives. She comes and is staying with us over the Thanksgiving holiday. So that would be kind of textbook instability. Instability, yeah. And, okay. and in terms of child outcomes, uh, the more any instability is typically associated with worse outcomes. But there's also this finding that the number of transitions increases kind of that negative effect on and, average. And you said to me that not a lot of research has been done studying instability as it relates to foster placement. Is that right? That's correct. So in general, when you get into family forms like adopted parents and foster parents, there's not a whole lot of data out there just because there aren't that many families that would fit that description. Um, So typically, uh, and I'm not as sure with fosters, they're normally just kind of excluded. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adopted parents are typically considered biological parents. Yeah, it, Um, it, it matches uh, yeah. in, terms in terms of stability of, figures. Yeah, in terms of stability, in terms of class resources and child outcomes. They're pretty similar. Wow. Okay, so you also said something. You said, and it was earlier, but you said non-resident dads. Yes. But that doesn't mean not a resident of a city or a state. That is a dad. Not present in the home. Not present right? in yeah. the not home. Not reside yeah, at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, so correct. for those listening, who's like, non-resident dads, what does that <laughs> like, mean? What is that? Yeah, yeah so they're from other countries. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> a dad who lives in a different household um, or he might be in and out infrequently, yeah. but not consistently living in the same household as Now, before child. we get to that third one, there is something that you had mentioned about fatherhood, which I think was interesting, which was this, that that I'll say, you know, the, the phrase that people might say, oh, the deadbeat dad or the un, you know, like yeah, the yeah. disengaged dad, that, that the feeling on that is actually far less real. You were saying dads really want to be present. But they might be prohibited in some ways. Right? Yes, that's so, and that was where a lot of this research kind of started with the work on fatherhood and non-resident dads. It was how are you going to get these men to pay child support? How are you going to get them to take ownership of their yeah. children? Uh, but the whole lot of research that was really looking at these non-resident fathers found that they're typically less educated. Uh, they don't have stable employment, and oftentimes they engage in levels of or peer or cycles of involvement with their children that map onto when they're working. So if they're working and they have something to contribute, then they're involved. They feel yeah. like they can be but involved. But if they're not able to meet that primary economic breadwinner type role that we've had, again, that's another cultural icon we've had since like the 50s, right? Yep. Um, if they aren't able to measure up to that standard, they might not feel like they have the right to see the child. Or in some cases, the mother might not let them see the child too. So father involvement, family structure, instability, and its result on child outcomes. And then you had non-marital or unintended childbearing. What do you mean by that? Yes. I think we got it. Um, Help us out. Yeah. So uh, non-marital childbearing, I'll start with, I guess, the fact that most people don't know, right? And I think we shared this. Bring it on, man. I love this little tidbit, a little bit of knowledge (laughs) from Bart. Um, So 40% of births in the U.S. approximately are non-marital, meaning they're not two married parents. Uh, but the majority of those are actually to cohabiting parents. So parents who are romantically involved and live together, uh, but um, are not married. And that's where all of the increase in non-marital fertility has been since the 1980s. So the percent of births that were to single mothers has been about 15% since the 80s, and it hasn't really gone anywhere. So when you hear about people talking about all these single mothers, like they're not really 
increasing. Um, they're pretty stable. Pretty static. So, but then with that, so if the if the non married pie is getting bigger at births, right? But the percentage of non present other parent, usually dad, is the same size. Correct. You said fifteen percent single parent. Yeah. And so the other percentage are two parents in the house, but not married. Yes. Okay, two biological so parents. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I think you're ready. Why do you think, and I'm just asking for your hunch, why do you think cohabitation has increased and marriage has decreased? I, I can answer this with more than a hunch. Okay. So, um, yes. We have, as a society, we have very high cultural values and attachment to the institution of marriage. Yes. Okay. Um, and actually, a lot of people, when cohabitation first came on the scene, they were like, oh, this is a sign we don't care about marriage and marriage is going away. Yeah. In reality, the U.S., compared to other Western societies, we have a very strong attachment to the institution of marriage. Okay. Um, so we have this really high value. We don't want to get married and see it fail. And we all know like one in two divorces, that's one of the few stats that's actually pretty, that you hear that's pretty accurate. So about one in two marriages end in divorce and no one wants to be in that position. Right. right? So a lot of times people postpone getting married um, until they've found that perfect soulmate. Um, again, from a, from a secular perspective, the, the criteria of what defines a soulmate is a uh, pretty lofty goal. Sure. So people yeah. are waiting a long time before yeah. they think like, they God found the right God doesn't even person. have that definition of soulmate. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. exist. That's not a thing. <laughs> uh, so a question though, does that, does that have any contributing like factors towards instability? Oh yeah. So, so cohabiting, and this is the reason why the non-marital child. Yeah, I need you to prove that cohabiting is terrible. Yeah, okay. everything that is <laughs> not Christian, we, we need you to so, actually uh, scientifically verify. With some, I can, yeah. some data share yeah. with you that <laughs> the data's consistently <laughs> indicate it's, it's data's guys. I don't know <laughs> my <you> bad, <laughs> my Appalachia came through. Um, the data consistently indicate that cohabitation is a less stable family form. Um, so that's the, that's the main distinction the sociologist would make in terms of why marriage looks a lot different for child outcomes than cohabiting than cohabitation. is because cohabitation also goes hand in hand with these less stable families. Another factor that is a real big distinguisher in married and cohabiting families is economic resources. Yeah. So a lot of couples who are cohabiting have every intention of getting married, but they can't afford a Ten or fifteen thousand dollar wedding, which is like the new kind of cultural norm yeah, there. Right. So they, that. That, that exactly, is, and it's absolutely this, why get married. Otherwise. I'm not going to get married until I can do it where everyone has a steak dinner that and they bring joke. me a toaster, right? Um, <laughs> I can bring. Well, the no, toaster. That, the secular though, yeah. like that's legit. Yeah. That's where a lot of people are in terms of their attitudes sure. about marriage and what it is. There are so many questions that I want to ask you that I can't. Yeah. Because this goes to a million places. So I just want to put a pin in this right now and go, for those of you who are listening, I want you to email us at youneverstudied at gmail.com or go to our website or reply to the post of this in the thread. Because I can already sense there needs to be a follow-up yeah. with Bart. Bart's about, got some good knowledge About he can sociology drop. stuff yeah. as it pertains to things that Christians care about. And, or and maybe experience. even some misunderstandings that Christians have. Yep. Uh, for example, like he was sharing, uh, that the amount of single-parent homes has stayed the same. Mm -hmm. So we feel like single parent is just going rampant. 
trends. Uh, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, man, it's terrible. And he's like, no, actually, right? And this is what we like about data, because we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. It can kind of stabilize us a little bit. You go, it, it can let you know what to be concerned about and yep. what not to be concerned about, which is incredibly helpful. So please email in your questions. Let us know, and we can bring Bart back. I'm already feeling it in my bones that we need to have another one. But Bart, something that can help our listeners is this. You are a believer, I think. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank um, you for the yeah. confidence with which you say yes, that. But I figured he should answer. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, uh, well, I'll let him talk. <laughs> so you work in a field that I don't. I don't want to say the word hostile, but it at least is antagonistic towards having specific truth claims because it's trying to discover truth as it sees it uh, being worked out. And so things that a Christian might be able to say or declare as true, uh, and things that they would believe are unchanging because they are revealed in Scripture. Aren't really sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> right? They, right. Don't, they don't necessarily go you, together with your industry. And I think there are people who are listening who have jobs that might feel as if what they, the work that they do and the things that they believe might not always be in concert together. So you've had to navigate that for a little while now. And I want to know a little bit about just kind of your journey into this and how do you as a believer walk through uh, your field knowing that you are a minority as a believer in it? Okay. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I'll preface it with, I'm still walking through it. So right. I, I'm I thought not, you were done. I, wait, I'm not done. You um, didn't figure it all so out. <laughs> this is, this is kind of Podcast showing over. Like, yeah. See ya. Um, <laughs> you're no longer an expert. <laughs> Get off. We no. didn't say ask the guy still trying to figure it out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we went the pro. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, you're a believer. So in the last like year and a half, now I'm like sidetracked in my brain. So yeah, five thousand. My bad. Yeah. No, you're good. I'm the color commentator. He has all of this um, data's in his and head, and they're going, going loose like yeah. rabbits. Like, <laughs> hold stop. on, I have to grab that stat so. and make it make sense. <laughs> so no stats. Um, so this is just to speak. So in the last like two or so years, really, um, the Lord has used my job very actively in sanctifying me, uh, and it's getting at kind of what you were talking about. I think very much. So um, there are two two key like scriptural truths that I always have to come back to okay. whenever I'm kind of thinking about this. Uh, and and unfortunately I have to return to those less often now. Cause like the views shifting as it should. Right. Good. Um, so the first one is just second Timothy three, 16 through 17. And All I'm right. going to, I'm going to rattle off literature, but not, or not literature. Um, that's what the sociologist would say. I'm going to rattle off scripture. Bible and I think literature. You can, yes. You, you like, you can provide all that, right? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Cool. So I won't be reading them, but um, Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. Um, all, all of scripture, <laughs> uh, yeah, all scripture <laughs> is uh, inspired by God without error, and it's profitable for um, all the things it does. All for the us, things right? that and first it, one it we're really us... good at. The rest we're kind of like Wah! just teaching, just yeah. teaching, <laughs> um, training in righteousness. I, <laughs> that the reason that verse is crucial is that 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 tells me that like the truths that are presented in the Bible are off the table in terms of critiquing or anything to that effect. So sociology, in terms of the social sciences, I think one of the key things it brings to this table is this natural kind of skepticism of questioning everything and seeing, is this real? Is yeah. this true? Um, so right at the baseline, it's like, no. Not for this. Not for yeah. this. Yeah. this uh, you yeah. can't ask those questions and 
be a believer, right? Or, yeah. Well, at least you can a ask sound the question. Uh, but yeah, but well, we can you can edit that out. Or do what well, you want I understand. What, I understand what Bart's saying there. Go I ahead, think clarify. I, I, I think Doctor Color commentator. All I think Bart Bart is saying is is if you approach the Bible as everything in it is negotiable, right? Or or, or, it's, or it needs it's to just be verified. one thing on the table with everything else that we are right. researching. Yeah, right now. and right. that's not the way that Christians should approach the Bible. Absolutely, that's, a, that's an accurate statement. Yeah. Uh, you can't approach the Bible as if everything in there is. Uh, we need to test this and verify and it and see if it holds up. Yeah, exactly. That's not so, how that works. Right. That's that's the first demarcation I would say in terms of like uh, believer Bart and training in sociology is yeah. making that distinction of this is something that I don't question yeah. and scriptures I can't. are true. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Makes sense. Um, the second kind of group of passages that I have to keep in mind, and these I have to return to more frequently than the first one. Uh, but there are a lot of passages that are contrasting worldly wisdom against uh, wisdom. Um, yeah. God's yeah. wisdom, right? <laughs> so the passages that I pulled are first Corinthians one, 18 through 25, second Corinthians two, 12 through 15, James 3, 15 through 17. All will be on the website. Yeah, we've got, we've got all those references. Right? Romans 1, 22 through 24, and Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Okay. I'm not claiming that's an exhaustive there. list, no, but, but those are the ones list. that I exhaustive. come to regularly <laughs> it's all um, to just kind of help me orient how my discipline and my training in sociology is going to match up with yeah. the wisdom that's presented in the word that I know is true and inspired and without error. So the key takeaways there are um, the wisdom of this world, like any secular perspective, like sociology, philosophy, any discipline, psychology, um, physics, whatever you want to look at. You can keep naming um, them. What? You <laughs> said so you can keep naming we them. We got all time. of them. Like, yeah. <laughs> forever. Leadership. Uh, hey! <laughs> um, but they're all going to be inferior to the scripture and the wisdom of God by default. Like, And they're qualitatively Absolutely. different and inferior in all ways. Um, the second thing... Uh, that I would say that is really important in my field more so is when my sociological evidence or findings don't align with the scripture, you take those two pieces and you know the Bible is the right source. The sociologist is missing something here in terms of understanding this story. So what is a way you might have to do that? Uh, So one example that um, is really controversial and gets a lot of attention now, and I think probably most people associate with sociology, is thinking about same-sex parenting and child outcomes. So okay. that's a really good so example. So that's similar to your wheeled house as you talk about instability and these other things. This is a different way of building but a family. But it's another data it, set. But it's yeah. another yeah. data set. Yeah, yeah. and, it's, and it's, it's, it's part of the family structure right. discussion. So exactly. I've there not to be published researched. a lot on this, but it's certainly linked to family structure. Sure, yeah. Um, the key takeaway, on average, there's no sociological evidence that same-sex parenting is bad for child outcomes. Get um, out. There's no, no, <laughs> no, no findings that would suggest that, okay. um, which we know from scripture Yet. that that's yeah. not, um, that doesn't jive with some of the teaching that we see there, right? Right. Um, so I, I think this is a really good example of looking at sociology is all about making a whole lot of status um, observations and understanding how they influence people's lived experiences. Okay. So at its core, a lot of sociology is race, class, and gender, and how that pans out in terms of social inequality uh, in any society that you're living in, right? Um, that is at its core making very different distinctions than the Bible is ever going to make, or as a believer, you really need to be making, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, qualitatively and categorically, I think the Bible pretty much, they're, Two sets of distinctions, male, female, yeah. and Jew, and 
Gentile. Uh, Gentile or not Jew, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the only two like categorical distinctions I can think of that are clearly presented based on like a person. Saved and lost character. would be well, maybe the third. That's the yeah. next yeah. one. And yeah. I was going to yeah. say, that's actually, I would say a status. Yeah. So, and that we know say, yeah. from the New Testament, we know that the status is all that matters. So once you're in Christ, none of those other things matter. Yeah. Sociologists are only looking at... They don't have that category. They don't have that category. They're not looking at that category, and their data can't speak to that category. How do you operationalize the Holy Spirit, right? You're not going to be able to do that. Um, But that that seems like it would really help somebody in your position, because then you go, okay, now I'm just presenting it knowing the limitations of what I can research and knowing the limitations of what it will be able to say, because I have a whole nother world of information that will not address this and that my own field will not speak into. So it helps. It would, I think it would help somebody like you to go, I can speak about what the research has played out while also knowing that that's going to be an incomplete playing out of anything that might come because I know what the Lord has said about some of these situations already. Exactly. Yeah. And and in, in the context of the specific things I study, so most of my work, I, most of my publications focus on describing what is happening in the family, describing yeah. inequality in the family based on racial or education status, uh, understanding how all these different family forms or behaviors that might be thought of as problematic are going to be worse for child outcomes, right? That sounds a lot like depravity right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's the results of depravity so in that regard like sociology is ultimately just shining a lens of on, all the different flavors all the different yeah. flavors yeah. of depravity this is the, and what this that is looks the depravity like. field over um, here yes. and these this is how that this is, game is this played, is how this, this one... depravity field grows <laughs> yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense so i think i think that helps that helps anybody here so then i'm just curious and you don't have to actually answer this question if you're uncomfortable okay do you ever then at the end of your classes, because this is like the cheesy Christian thing, unless you do it, then it's totally awesome, where you get done, you're like, and just so you guys know, I'm an evangelical Christian, and I'm happy to talk to any of you about following Jesus now that the semester's over. See I, you guys later. I do not present in that way, no. So several of my students do know I'm a believer, and I think it's evident, and this is one of the reasons why, and I pray about it, I pray pretty regularly about, am I, do I need to be in sociology and a public institution yeah. as a believer, like, based on the questions you asked. Do you like, want to be the Genesis sociologist? Uh, <laughs> I don't think, that's a, paid, I don't think position. that's a paid position. <laughs> yeah, um, We're hire, but, hiring as in quotes. Uh, <laughs> no, I, but I'm, I'm confident that's where the Lord would have me right now uh, in this season, and awesome. I think a big part of it is just not a lot of college professors, going back to just based on the majority, are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, so the mm, way in which we like teach, that. and those of us who are, the way in which we mentor the young people we teach, we stand out, and they know we're different. Um, so I have had students come up to me in office hours and approach me about things like that. And then I talk about, I share my faith with them, and I talk very much about how I have reconciled what sociology looks like while being a believer. Yeah. Um, so I don't do it in the classroom of saying like, oh, these, because I, I'm paid to teach content mastery of sociology. Absolutely. So I do that uh, and I do it to the best of my ability. And I don't, I don't make as many value statements. I would say as many of my colleagues do on the content I'm teaching, I'm much more of just, these are the facts. I'm going to present the I'm research. I'm going to present yeah. the research and then I get off stage. Um, how do your course feedback, how does that come back at you? Cause I think they're the bane of every professor's existence. Oh no, they're, I, they love me. They love me. Why? Like, no, it's, why, I mean, why wouldn't they? Why, I mean, yeah. I'm a delight. No, um, no. And I, I think that's just, I, I, I put a lot into my teaching. One thing I know about you, Bart, is that you take on a significant load of the graduate students and overseeing their thesis. Um, now that is a, a lot of work, but I would also say just as your pastor, 
uh, that that says something about you, that students seek you out as somebody who will. I think that reflects something in your character. There's just somebody who's interested in me and wants to help me to thrive. And in that regard, I think that's awesome. Like that's a way. So even the fact that you might feel like you have a heavier uh, workload in that, you're like, man, I have all these students. Shouldn't they go see somebody else? Can't they go do? I, I think that I think they see something in you that that makes them want to interact with you more because they know yeah. because of your love for the Lord, your commitment to these students that like you're going to, you're going to give them your all because you are working to glorify the Lord. And you know that giving your energies in those things is going to be a worthy endeavor. No. And I, I would agree that with the faculty that I know on campus uh, as well, who are believers, I know they have the same type of reputation with students. They have the same, you, you see that. And it's, I think it's an outgrowth of what a believer in this role is going to look okay, like. so I have a question. So, like, after a long day of teaching, <laughs> do you ever just go, man, you know what I really want to do now is just, just play some beach volleyball? I do every day. Is that what you do that's every day? That's what I do every wow, day. We have a sand cool. volleyball court <laughs> in our backyard. Yeah, and we just go to it. No, you uh, had said... You know, as you introduce the podcast, hey, you know, one of the things that I'm not is like whatever East Tennessee dude is. Like, that's not me. I'm not that guy. Um, but in trying to learn that you weren't that person, you found an affinity in volleyball. I have. And so I, I want to know how somebody in, in your neck of the woods finds volleyball when everything is football or hunting, I, I think probably because there's less competition. <laughs> oh, there you <laughs> so go. You're I like, like, I, I found can my niche. do this yeah. and I can own it. I can yeah. be great at that. Um, no, I, so we are, my parents were youth sponsors when I was a younger kid, and their youth group played volleyball all the time. So I just played volleyball with these people um, from the age of like 10 up. Um, but sand, man. Sand, sand makes it well, a lot uh, harder. No, I, so I, didn't, yeah. I didn't start on sand. Yeah. Uh, I start, well, I mean, it was like sand, but there were six of us, not two. Yeah. Um, but then I, as I progressed, I mean, because you don't have competitive male volleyball in East Tennessee. Um, so Which I had shocker. Some, you, Hold on. You heard it here news, first. <laughs> news flash. <laughs> it is not California or Florida. Yes. Um, so <laughs> when you're trying to get some people together and play in a tournament, it's a lot easier to get two guys than okay. six. Oh, right. So, so that's kind of where I fell into the sand rather than like. In so the, what is your favorite sand volleyball movie? Oh, yeah. Oh. Is that a sub, sub genre? I, I don't know of any. Top Gun. I was about to say that's the Top only Gun? one yeah, that, that's, that's the, the, best, the only the scene that I know. She's all that um, <laughs> as, a, as a volleyball scene in it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you. I was about to say the, the, the nose, the, bro- the broken nose. <laughs> that's, that, that's my favorite. So if you had, if, you, I, if I could play water polo you, volleyball, you played intramural stuff, right? Like in yeah. college and stuff. Yeah. So like, if you could start like tomorrow, if it was like, hey, keep doing sociology or be a, start a professional your own, sand volleyball. Yeah, sh- professional. And you would make the same or more for sure. Yeah. No volleyball. All if day you long. got to name the team, would it be the functionalists or the symbolic interactionalists or yeah. like uh, marriage you know, and gender con- it, conflict? It, it, it would, it would be the it would be the methodologists. Oh, the oh, methodologists. If you would have asked me the that United three, methodologists <laughs> three, three years right. ago, it would have been a different uh, um, label but yeah <laughs> oh. so do you still play not regularly no i because i don't know i don't know people that play okay so. there's a guy who's a, a sponsor of the show play backyard games playbackyardgames.com kyle sears kyle could you if you're listening still and i think you are could you please find a way to get bart playing sand volleyball again uh, that would be good. Yeah, get uh, a game going or a competition. Kyle likes like sports ball of all kinds. Yeah. So, we sports really appreciate discs. that. 
Sports bean bags. He likes it all. Bart, thank you so much. No, for thank you for having me both times. Bring us on this both times. And there will be a third, <laughs> okay, just like First Corinthians and Second Corinthians and Second Corinthians is Third Corinthians, yes, right? That's true. This is the second installment of Ask the Expert with Bart Stikes. Uh, we're but the looking only forward first canon. One. The, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to the next one, but that comes by your questions. So go to our website, youneverstudied.com. Ask us the questions. Let us know what you think. Bart, it was awesome to have you. Thank you so much for giving us your time twice to make this everything it was. And if you have any questions for Bart, I bet you could figure out how to find out who he is. And if you have questions about how to be a believer in an industry or a place that seems to uh, not jive totally with what you understand about the Lord, I think Bart would be a great guy for you to talk to as well to get some ideas on how you could reflect your Lord more fully in that environment. So thanks, Bart. Evan, thanks so much. Absolutely. See you guys next week for the Thanksgiving episode of You Never Studied, which is just because it's Thanksgiving week.